Welcome to Breaking History, a world history podcast brought to you by the Northeastern University History Graduate Student Association. I'm Adam Tomasi. I am a second year history PhD student at Northeastern, and I study the histories of the left in the U.S. and Britain. And we have today Cassie Cloutier and Luke Scalone. Either of you can introduce yourselves first. Hi, I'm Cassie. I'm a third year PhD student in the department, and I look at U.S. relations with Latin America during the Cold War. And I'm Luke Scalone. I'm a fifth year PhD candidate, and my dissertation is on French colonialism in Tunisia during the 30s and into the 40s. Fantastic. So the premise of this roundtable today is about comprehensive exams, aka comps. And I have invited both of you to participate in this discussion because both of you are either uh, in the process of getting ready to uh, pass comps, or as you said, Luke, that's you know been in the in the distant past. the The goal here is for our listeners who are thinking about graduate school or are at the point in their uh, PhD programs where they're going to have to be ready to do this. And it's almost self referential because that that includes me uh, <laughs> learning from uh, the both of you about. Uh, how you chose your fields, how to prepare and study for these successfully, and some other do's and don'ts. And hopefully not too many instances of, oh, if I could have gone back in time, I would have done this thing differently. But that's also, uh, you know, something worth thinking about as well. Uh, so I guess the very first question we will discuss is, uh, how did you decide on your fields, each of you? Like, what what were your fields? And like, did you run into any difficulty or ambiguity around like, what do I even call this field? <laughs> What, what do I even pick for the third one? Yeah, so I can go first on that one. I chose my fields slowly. Uh, my first field, I knew I was going to do it. And it was uh, modern France and the French colonial empire. And it was because I had come into Northeastern knowing that I was going to work on French colonialism. That continues to be the case, but I framed it within modern France more broadly as well. So most of my readings on that field were uh, metropolitan French-based with a handful on the uh, the French colonial empire. My second field was empire in the modern world. And this is essentially a world history sort of field. I think in other departments, it would be framed as comparative empire. Uh, looked at British empire, French empire, German empire, uh, Chinese and Japanese iterations of empire, Russian, and so on, as well as larger imperial theory. My third field was much harder to decide because I didn't know what I was going to be writing my dissertation on at the time. So I had thought about doing a field on the modern Middle East and North Africa because I had some sort of idea that I was going to do this, uh, but I wasn't certain. And as a result, I opted to do a field on modern Europe from effectively the French Revolution to the present, which overlapped really well. So because of this, all three of my fields sort of worked together like a jigsaw puzzle where they all overlapped with one another. Uh, in my modern Europe field, uh, although wasn't planned to, it wound up acting as almost a second major field. That's fantastic. And I do like how all of those fields are, are thematically consistent. Cassie, what are your fields and how did you come to decide them? I guess um, I had somewhat of a similar experience to Luke in the fact that when I arrived at Northeastern, I already had my interests in U.S. and the Cold War, specifically their relations with Latin America. So when I came in, I was definitely um, ready to pursue a U.S. in the world field, highlighting, of course, the later 20th century. But I took a bit of a, a different route in the last year, um, being that... I'm instead of doing one major field and two minor, I actually am doing two major fields. 
that I'm able to highlight my other interests, which is modern Latin America. So in the last year, um, that's when I have had these two major fields come into play, being the U.S. and the world in the modern Latin America. And for my third field, that was a bit more tricky, for sure, in the fact that I wanted to pick something that maybe was a, a bit more marketable, but also something that would help me look at my two major fields in a different or an interesting way. So in talking with my advisors, um, they suggested maybe looking at the history of capitalism and how that would play into um, my two major research interests. I was lucky enough to have an opportunity to pursue that minor field. Awesome. And I can definitely see how all of those fields too also share, uh, you know, a similar thematic consistency. And I was also wondering in terms of the, the advising component, if you felt like talking with your advisors was uh, like a really useful way of refining the ideas and interests that you did have, or was it almost like you presented it to them and they were like, yeah, that sounds great. Because even in my case, like when I was uh, talking with my advisor about, you know, what I wanted to do in terms of maybe like a major field about global histories of the left, like we actually tried to parse out like, do we call it global social movements, because that is a more left wing valence? Do we call it global radical movements to include like the far right as well? Like, is that even the best phrasing? Like, I, it was quite interesting to see kind of how important it is to get the thematic consistency down. But for each of you, what would, you know, the advising process related to this? I can speak to that as well. The modern France and the French colonial empire field was sort of a shoe in I started as a directed study in my second semester with Laura Freider, and it evolved out of that. The empire in the modern world field, I had decided just a semester later in fall uh, 2017, and that was with Heather Street Salter. My third field, I actually didn't decide until uh, I took my comprehensive exams in November of 2018, and I didn't know what this field was until May of 2018. Uh, so there wasn't a whole lot of time there to sort of figure that out. And one of the things that helped me was when I talked with Heather Street Salter and Laura Freider, one thing that they suggested to me was to frame my third field not so much as a research field, but as a teaching field that I could use in the larger job market, because it was very unlikely that with the direction my research was going, I was going to have to rely on that literature very closely. But it would be expected for me to teach a lot of modern European classes when I'm on the job market. And it's since then. And so that's the direction I wound up taking with that. That makes sense. Yeah, I think I had a similar experience in the fact that uh, my advisors were kind of pushing for something that would be more competitive in the job market. And of course, the history of capitalism does help me look at these fields differently. But again, it's not something that's heavily utilized for my dissertation or the proposal that I'm working on. Yeah. That's fair. And I had also heard that the prospectus and comps are apparently either due like on the same day or like very close to it. As soon as Cassie mentioned proposal, I was like, oh yeah, is this, is this true? I might have a little more insight on this topic, being that I'm approaching that combined deadline very quickly. So this may just pertain to the department at Northeastern. But yes, so recently there has been a change where our proposal and our comps are due at the same time. Wow. <laughs> I, I really I really think you got this, but that that sounds scary to me. 
Yeah, Luke, what would you say related to that? Was there any relationship between the clarity that you had in coming up with Prospectus and the comps reading that you were doing? Because I was imagining that a similar thing might hold for me if like after doing like a monster amount of reading on a particular field that you'd start to notice connections and examples and other themes that make like articulating a unique proposal easier to do. Yes and no. So for me, the prospectus and the comprehensive exams were due at different points. Uh, this is just a recent change where they're due at the same point. And I think that my comprehensive exams did help me think about my dissertation because I spent a lot of time working on North Africa-based research and on the Mediterranean. And with my modern Europe field, I thought a bit more about Italy, which plays a very large role in my dissertation, and I would have never thought about it otherwise. That being said, most of the material that I went through on my comps is literature that will be untouched in my dissertation and and even very rarely thought about. And so there are little points there that help you think about your dissertation, but there's also a lot of outside investigation necessary. For my dissertation, I've gone a lot of time outside into the history of fascism, which uh, would was very little on my dissertation. I mean, on my uh, on my comprehensive exams, there was little bits of it in my modern Europe field for two different subsections, but it was not an overarching theme. The debates about modern empire, however, was very helpful uh, with thinking about colonial institutions and links between different empires, which my dissertation very closely deals with this sort of Italian-Franco competition over Tunisia in the years leading up to the Second World War. For sure. Yeah, that that definitely has me thinking also about a question I want to ask you later about your colonialism and imperialism class. And then I also uh, wanted to ask Cassie about any you know plans for designing a course, you know, based upon similar comps related interests. But uh, Cassie, if you could fill in on the prospectus and, and comps relations. <laughs> Yeah. Prior to knowing about this role change, I was advised to, and I also planned on, um, you know, doing my comps first and then doing my proposal, you know, having done all the reading and then working that into a proposal. I will say that, you know, even with doing my comps reading, I still think that the history of capitalism might not have played a part in a, a proposed topic because my topic is a little different than what I've been doing reading on for especially my minor field. But I will say that for my major fields, the US and the world, and also modern Latin America, my proposal does contain some discussion of the larger literature discussions. So that is helpful in a sense. But again, it's not perfectly aligned, I guess I'll say. So related to, I guess, the you know the themes that are, are you know driving or or not uh, necessarily the you know the the work that you're doing in you know creating the proposal or, or writing the dissertation. And I definitely think that it's it's cool that with comps, we inevitably have like maybe, you know, one field or possibly two, but probably just like the one minor field that, you know, isn't necessarily, you know, directly related, but it's definitely something that now that you've passed the exam, you'd be able to teach it. Uh, and I know, Luke, in, in your case, like uh, when I was a first year and um, I got to you know see your syllabus for the uh, colonialism and imperialism class that you taught at Northeastern. And I thought that your historical uh, note about people not using technology in class because the great empire builders uh, did not <laughs> do so was 
was like one of the funniest things ever. But could you first just elaborate on like how maybe the comps process made designing that course easier or not? So that class, Colonialism and Imperialism in World History, is one of my favorite classes. I love teaching that, and I hope to be able to continue doing so regularly in the future. And one of the things that I did in the course was the temporal period of time was longer than what was in my comprehensive exams field. My comprehensive exams field was from about 1500, starting with what we might call, uh, in a more antiquated sense, the gunpowder empires, up into the present through decolonization and neo-colonialism. I started with the fall of the Mongol Empire, which I think begins modern history on the global scale, rather than, say, in Europe. That being said, my comprehensive exams fundamentally shaped that course. It shaped the way I thought about each lecture. It shaped my arguments for each class. However, very few of the texts that I read were assigned to students. So most of the material that I used uh, was for my own thinking and for my own lectures. But a lot of the texts that I assigned in class were much more popular history works, pieces of fictional literature, memoirs. Uh, I even included podcasts and works of music to think about colonialism and imperialism. And I think I dwelt a little bit too much on the mid-19th century shifts in Ottoman Africa with Egypt and Algeria and uh, Libya. But And I think that very much is a product of my own dissertation thinking. Uh, but yes, my comprehensive exams has very much shaped that course and honestly is one of my favorite things to do now because of that. Fantastic. Thinking about courses that I'd like to teach, my major field of U.S. in the world is definitely something that plays into that. I know, Adam, we both were in a teaching practicum course, I believe last fall. Yeah, time has flown by. It's hard to remember. But so I created a, a draft syllabus for that course called U.S. in the Global Cold War, which definitely emphasizes non-Western um, history of the Cold War. So a lot of my reading for my comps exam played into the um, topics and the themes that I proposed in my syllabus. But again, similar to Luke, you know, I was trying to incorporate uh, maybe readings or different types of media that might be a little bit more interesting to consume. And I was, you know, thinking back to like undergrad classes and the type of readings that were used in those. Definitely, you have to kind of play with uh, what you're giving the students in form of like assignments compared to what you're going to like be talking to them about. For sure. So I was thinking as, as the both of you were talking about uh, something that's really interesting to me, uh, but also related to, uh, you know, your lists of readings that you chose for the sake of like your intellectual development, and then the readings that end up being more practical for teaching undergraduates. Uh, so I guess more generally, I can ask, you know, how did you select books on the comps lists? So one of the things that I did was I looked at books that I had read for different courses, whether they were directed studies or for individual classes. Uh, and I thought about which were the most influential textbooks in any given field. Uh, so I looked at um, Charles Sauerwein's France since 1870, or I looked at uh, Jane Burbank and Frederick Cooper's Empires in World History. And I went through those bibliographies and I sort of decided which seemed to have the most influence on the way those textbooks were written, because those 
have really shaped the way that the overarching narrative of each field is framed. And I paid special attention to the debates that happen within those. For things that I was less clear on, I chose debates that really interested me more. For example, the creation of republicanism in the Third Republic, France, or uh, sort of technology and empire. And I started with each count field, giving an overarching heading. With modern France and with modern Europe, these were fundamentally temporal. Uh, the French Revolution, World War II, the interwar years, uh, the Third Republic, things like that. With my empire and world history field, I thought about it in more thematic terms. So one, I had sort of a, I, I would call it a problematic heading of Asian land empires, which I sort of put in the Safavid, Iran, uh, Mughal India, and the Ottoman Empire alongside the Qing dynasty. And I looked at the most influential works in those fields, or I thought about settler colonialism. Okay, what's the most important work on settler colonialism? And from that, that's how I sort of formulated my fields. When I sent them to the different advisors for each field, they would either suggest that I take things out, add things, uh, give me a choice, pick the work on policing Paris or the work on Boundaries of the Republic by Mary Louise Stewart, things like that. And I think that helped me quite a lot. Yeah, um, I took a similar approach when coming up with my lists. I guess I had the advantage, first of all, of taking a few directed readings with my major field advisors, and those formed the origins and the basis of my lists. And from there, you know, it's just a lot of discussion with your advisors and a lot of uh, negotiation, basically, of, you know, what's going to be the most helpful for you, but also what you need to know the most. I will say that my lists have very like general uh, subheadings, you know, just kind of uh, starting off with a more theoretic uh, or th theoretical or um, going from there, kind of getting more specific um, and into the weeds of like different time periods or different themes um, of my list. But like, for instance, uh, with my history of capitalism field, you know, I'll have maybe like a classic text and then I'll have um, some texts that are kind of like applied theory or something that might pertain a little bit more to my research and stuff like that. So um, it's a lot of push and pull, I'd say, between you and your advisor. That makes a lot of sense. And especially because to my understanding, each of those advisors become important for like how the oral and written exams actually go about. But we will get to that question later because I was thinking related to the lists and, you know, we're very obviously dealing with like a lot of books here. And my understanding is like articles can count too, uh, which I've heard through the grapevine. Uh, and that's really nice to hear. But in terms of like all of that reading, I want to ask now, how did each of you effectively take notes and figure out what was important? What I did was I went through about two books a day on average, I think. Uh, and most of my time was dedicated to those texts uh, during the semesters I was preparing for my comprehensive exams, both the summer before and the semester of, which was autumn of 2018. What I did was I started with the introduction and the conclusion. I would jot down the entire sentence of the argument, the thesis. 
And then I would give some notes on key terms, key ideas, things like that. And then I would just read the beginning and end of each chapter while skimming the rest. And I did the skimming as the last thing. So a book on average would take me about four hours to gut. Uh, this is not in-depth reading of the text. This is getting your arguments, getting your facts straight, or a lot of times it's not even facts, it's interpretive work. What I did for notes was I put everything in Evernote. Each book, each article had its own entry in Evernote. And I started off with the table of contents uh, so that I know what's in each text. And then I just did a basic uh, short sort of description and uh, notes of each book. And then I did a one paragraph summary at the end of it. And I did that for probably 250 books in total. So it took me about 120 days, I guess, if you break that down, uh, four months. And then after that, leading up to the exams, I took every single note I had in Evernote and pasted it into a Word document uh, with headings and everything. So then when I went to write my major field, I could just control F the document and find exactly what I needed to and look at that when I was writing. And so as a result, it was very easy to access all my material. I think that when I wrote, when I did the big Word file, it came out to 500 or 600 pages of content, which would have been impossible to sift out if I had done it uh, just by looking at it. But because I was able to just search the document and find what I needed, writing my comprehensive exam was nowhere near as difficult as I thought it would be. Uh, I sort of did it within normal work hours, nine to five, spending time with it, and then relaxing in the evenings. Uh, and I think that's very different from what a lot of other people do, which is just sort of to cram through it. And I think my preparation led to a lot of success with that. That's awesome. And also <laughs> sounds like an enormous Word document. When I heard like 500 or 600 pages, I'm like, whoa, but that's amazing. I have to say that as I'm preparing for my um, exam now, that is great advice. And I am like taking notes from Luke right now because that sounds fantastic. But yeah, for me, um, I took a similar approach to reading. Um, I think most people will advise you to do what Luke just suggested, which is, you know, looking at intro conclusion and um, kind of skimming the rest. Um, but in addition to that, um, during one of my directed readings uh, with my major field advisor, uh, Dr. Walker for uh, Modern Latin America, um, we had uh, long discussions about how to effectively take notes specifically for the exam and going forward. At the end of it, uh, we came up with a little bit of like a, a text like rundown where there's many categories on this form that I essentially fill out, you know, aside from identifying the argument and the methods and um, the sources and whatnot. I spend a lot of time coming up with not only a short summary, but also a short summary, you know, maybe a paragraph or so of how the work fits into the larger literature and uh, other discussions in the field. So that's how I go about preparing for my exams, you know, kind of just seeing how these all work together. That's really cool. And I feel like uh, a combination of both of those note taking strategies would benefit me. I also find, though, that I am uh, serially disorganized. And so hopefully I'm not strolling into the exams with uh, no notes.
related to the note taking, you know, I wonder if there is like a different strategy with the oral exams versus the written exams. And I ask this in large part because I am not too familiar with you know, what the oral exam process there is like, I guess also for the the written exam, more context on like, you know, how much time you get, how long it has to be. I feel like even though these are questions that kind of sound like, oh, you can you can just you know ask the department. I think that in a way, this also serves to demonstrate to listeners like what these things could typically be like. So my written exam, which was on modern France, the French colonial empire came out to about 40 pages double spaced. Uh, I've seen some as high as 60 pages, and I've seen some as low as 25. I think 40 to 50 is about the sweet spot. And you have about 72 hours to write it. It doesn't matter what time of day. Uh, I received my exam and was told, okay, this needs to be done in 72 hours. And it, my, my exam was a very simple prompt. It was pick five of the major themes that were discussed in the last 50 years by historians and explain how they fit together. And so I picked the major works of five different fields, five thematic fields, and did a rundown of each and then explained how they fit in the larger literature. The oral exams really depend on your supervisors. I had Heather Street Salter for my Modern Empire field. And with her, I was able to pick the sort of questions that I'd be asked in advance so I could prepare for those really well. They were things like, what were the major innovations that occurred during the uh, gunpowder empires? Or to what extent uh, did decolonization play a role in current conditions in other countries? With my major field, which was the French colonialism and imperialism, as well as modern France field, uh, my oral exams was basically following up on my written section. And this happened about two weeks after. So my advisor had read over it and asked some questions about it. And then there was only one or two additional question, uh, which I didn't find any major difficulty in answering. My, my third field, modern Europe, I had no indication on what would be asked. So I prepared for a couple different things, different themes, and I can actually share the document of questions that I had put together that I thought might be asked but none of those were actually asked. A lot of my questions were instead about democratization, meta-narratives, which I had sort of anticipated, but it was framed in a different way than I had expected, as well as how I would put together a syllabus on modern Europe, which I thought was a really interesting way of asking a really interesting question because it forces you to think about the larger narratives at play and how this could be presented. And so uh, I actually learned a lot from my oral exam on modern Europe, uh, which I expected would not be the case necessarily, but they forced me to think in other ways. Yeah, and that sounds like a really great question, uh, especially because of what you had mentioned earlier about modern Europe being a, a teaching field, uh, that asking, you know, how would you make a syllabus around it is very appropriate for that. I can't speak too much to this question because, of course, I haven't taken my exams yet and I'm still in preparations of how they'll look and whatnot. But I will say that this, again, is, from my understanding, just a lot of negotiation with your advisors. I know in my case, and of course, this might not apply to all, but in my case, the questions for the oral exam are something that I negotiate with my advisors. You know, I send in suggestions and they might suggest refining them or something like that. But again, it's a lot of just communication communication with your advisor before the exam starts. For sure. And I think related to that, I am also thinking about 
how ultimately once you are, you know, like done with comps and I know like Cassie, you're not done yet, but like, if you're thinking about like the, the, what comes after, and this would be like a really interesting comparison too, of like, you know, Luke being able to, to speak directly to like, as soon as you finished comps, like maybe you took a month off, maybe you just started doing more outside investigation related to uh, your dissertation, but ultimately like how once you have become ABD or once you, in Cassie's case, are like thinking about, you know, reaching that point, like what, what are your, well, what was the horizon there? You know, once you, once you climbed the mountain of comps. I did my comprehensive exams over Thanksgiving break, essentially. So I had my written exam the weekend before Thanksgiving, and then I did my oral exams the week after Thanksgiving. And so I had some time to rest between them and go through materials. Then there was only two weeks left of the semester, and I was on winter break. And so I continued my teaching assistantships and things like that. As soon as I got back, I started thinking about my dissertation. Uh, because as I had mentioned before, we did not have to have our dissertation prospectus at the same time as our comprehensive exams. So that was my next task. And so I started going through the literature on that, which was a very different literature. I read the, a very large part of the uh, literature on comparative fascist studies. I read a lot on different North African countries because I had this inkling that I'd be working on that. And as a result, I just sort of spent time the following semester reading as much secondary literature as I could. Uh, and at the same time, I started applying for grants and fellowships for doing research overseas. And the following summer in 2019, I spent three months in Tunisia doing archival research. And that is effectively what put me in the position to start writing my dissertation. So I scanned all the documents that I went through in Tunis, and now I'm in the process of writing. I still go back through those documents regularly to make sure I have all my eggs counted, so to speak. But yeah, so the main task after my, uh, my comprehensive exams were to go through the secondary literature in my field and start applying for grants and fellowships, of course. Yeah, I look forward to that. Unfortunately, because I have a little bit of a different timeline, given the new rules and stuff like that, I'm not sure how it'll look. But yeah, once my proposal for my dissertation is in and my comps are completed, I think it looks a little different for me, especially given the pandemic. My dissertation proposal preparations have been a little challenged because of the limitations with the pandemic. So I look forward to resting, but I think I'll be uh, doing a lot of work on my dissertation at that point. Fantastic. back to the immediacy of of comps themselves because i know i kind of went far, farther ahead in time like so now on the dissertation but uh and this i guess is kind of related to dissertation work you know i'm thinking about the grad read and you know getting books and like that's definitely like what you have to do like with the sheer amount of material you have but i always worried if i only ever did the grad read on all the books that i'm gonna have to know about that i may 
not have very strong like factual knowledge about uh, the things that I'm I'm writing about. And maybe this is just like an unwarranted concern because like I'm in a PhD program and like as we all are. So like maybe I'm just like selling myself short. But what would you recommend as a way to like aside from negotiating with like advisors about like your lists, like negotiating with yourself on like what books are worth reading cover to cover to be able to get like the factual anchor that then when you do the grad read on everything else, you're like, okay, I can confidently say I'm like an expert in this field. So you won't be asked fact-based questions like that for your comprehensive exams. Uh, It's fundamentally about the historian's craft, which is interpretation and argumentation. But that being said, I did, uh, before I started uh, reading all these scholarly works, for each of my fields, I read four synthetic works, effectively four textbooks on each subject. And in doing so, I was able to get the major uh, narratives, the facts, information, things like that, before I really dived into the other material. I still use synthetic works pretty regularly to make sure that I have the larger contours in mind. Uh, so one thing I do with my dissertation is I'm constantly going back through synthetic works to make sure that I'm situating myself in the history well, uh, to make sure I have basic information right. One thing that could be useful, too, is that Routledge, for example, uh, I believe Routledge, or perhaps it's Cambridge, makes a series of books called the Cambridge or the Routledge Handbook to a specific subject. Uh, So I have one of those on hand. And then I also have, for my own work, the Historical Dictionary of Tunisia. So then I look back at that when I need to, sort of uh, reference works that I can look back to. But what you actually do is less about the synthetic work and more about the argumentation and the analysis. Yeah, I would uh, totally agree with that, Uh, specifically for my two major fields. You know, I'm pretty familiar with those fields by now. So when I'm going through my list, I've read a lot about U.S. relations with, like, let's say, Guatemala in the Cold War. I pretty much know what's going on there. So, you know, I'm just getting the argument from those books um, to see how they're different. But if it's something that I don't know a ton about, I'll either, you know, do a little bit of research or I'll do a more uh, thorough skimming of the text, I guess. Like, for instance, my minor field is the history of capitalism, but I'm actually reading a lot of work on East Asia's relationship with the history of capitalism for that field. And I know nothing about that subject. For those works, you know, I'll do a little bit more of a thorough glance at what um, they're saying just to get a little bit of the facts and what's going on there. Fantastic. So I guess to to wrap up with a few smaller questions in terms of the the scope, one of them would be uh, how helpful was talking to other people in the department that were a year or more ahead of you in navigating cops? Or did you feel like even if they had advice to offer, I've really got to figure out like my own strategy? I talked to other graduate students pretty regularly. I reached out to a few of them asking for what resources they had used or for examples that they had. And so as a result, not only did I receive some of their lists, but I actually saw the sort of questions that they put for themselves, their own notes, their own sort of ways of thinking about it. And that helped me prepare a lot. I know that I had asked three or four different graduate students in the department for their materials directly leading up to their exam, including their final comprehensive written exam, to see what that sort of thing would look like. 
to see what examples they might have to offer to see what sort of questions were asked as well. Uh, because every question is different, but they also have similarities and the way you approach them can often be done in a similar way. And so I asked graduate students in the department quite regularly. I know that I have materials from Olivier Scoutedon, uh, who is in the department, Bridget Kion, uh, Dave DeCamp, who was my office mate for a while, and I believe Malcolm Purinton, who finished his dissertation in August 2016. And they all sent me their materials. And, and the Malcolm was the one who had suggested that I put all of my materials into one Word document. And that has been, that was probably the biggest life-changing thing I had. Uh, and then I also had the actual exam from Jack Ronow, which helped me a lot. Yeah, and speaking uh, with other grad students who especially had similar advisors to myself, it definitely gave me a sense of relief, you know, made me less afraid of like the unknown by understanding kind of what questions they were looking at and kind of uh, what type of um, preparations they were doing. So I kind of got a sense of what works for some people, what might work better for me based on my style of learning and stuff like that. And also I worked closely with another grad student who's in the same year as I am. So, you know, we kind of bounced back and forth on how we were looking at different texts. If we had some overlap texts, you know, how we could help each other, uh, like figure out how to position that in our exam and stuff like that. So it's just helpful to work with one another and help each other. That's awesome to hear from uh, the both of you. And uh, I guess that's also what I'm doing too uh, in this forum as well. And I guess my final question would be, how did you figure out the timing of when you actually took the exam? Yeah, so I sort of determined my timing at the beginning of the semester that I actually did that. So I started reading in directed studies that I had done. And like Cassie, I know that played a big role in my sort of thinking about what readings I'd be doing. And so by the time I finished coursework, I already had a pretty decent chunk of my readings already done. And then I read very heavily through the summer, uh, which I did a short stint in France for archival research. And then I worked as a receptionist for IT uh, at the same time. So I was able to support myself through that and was able to do some of the reading when I had time off. Uh, and then at the beginning of the semester, I sort of set my deadline and got in touch with my advisors because for me, having a deadline ensures that I get things done. Otherwise, I would have gone at a much slower pace. And so I knew that everything had to be done by mid-November. Uh, and as a result, I was able to get through it. I, I was actually looking through because I kept track of when I finished each text. And there was an enormous amount that I went through in October. I think that October of 2018, I had read more than I ever had in any other single point uh, because of that. But otherwise, yeah, that's sort of how I did it. I just got in touch with my committee and set a date and that was set. For sure. That's awesome. For me, um, from my understanding, you know, it's just before the start of your fourth year as a grad student that you have to complete both of these. So I'm not sure the details of, you know, if they have to come in on the exact same day or whatnot, but it's just a lot of, uh, again, just talking with your advisors to make sure that they're all, you know, not only available, but also, you know, that you're prepared to take those exams with them at the same time and stuff like that. And I'm sure, of course, uh, also now taking into account how long your dissertation proposal will take plays into that due date as well. 
Fantastic. So that wraps up the uh, the questions that I had. Ultimately, um, I think that this was an enormously helpful discussion, uh, not only for me, but hopefully for uh, all of our listeners, because you know, I really think that when you enter a PhD program, there certainly are resources available for figuring all this stuff out. But it's also really nice to be able to communicate with people that are, are going through it or have done it uh, to be able to get that like, you know, institutional collective memory in that sense. And I also like that with our department, especially, I really do feel like our atmosphere is one where we all want to help each other and we all want to see each other succeed. And in that sense, that's like a, a really great reason I would suggest to anybody out in the in the universe listening to this to, uh, to consider Northeastern. So yeah, th- thank you both, uh, Luke and Cassie, for participating in the Breaking History podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. And you've been listening to the Breaking History Podcast, a production of the Northeastern University History Graduate Student Association. Our producers and sound editors are myself and Cassie, actually. Our theme music was composed by Kieran Legg. Your host today has been Adam Tomasi. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks.